Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. And welcome back to The Friday Habit. It's Mark Labriola here, and we got Ben with us today. How's it going, everybody? How's it going, Ben? Good. Good, man. Hey, well, I'm thrilled because today we have Clint Padgett with us. And if you don't know, Clinton is an expert in project management and team dynamics and is the president and CEO of Project Success, Inc. Grew up in a small town working with family businesses and now has grown to work with global brands and major events like the Olympics, and he brings invaluable insight on building high-performing teams and fostering effective communication. Clint, welcome to the Friday Habit. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Can we put that music on loop, man? I'm grooving to that. Let's, uh, <laughs> I got to get my Shazam out and try that again. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, I always like to start this show with some good energy, you know, so... Hey man, where so where are you located now? Are you are you in North Carolina or are you in Atlanta? No, I'm in Atlanta. Okay, cool, awesome. How's the weather there right now? Today it's a little chilly, chillier than normal. The usually okay. we don't get too cold until January, but it is mid December, so it's it's dropping. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, over here in Colorado, it's been nice, like sixties. Oh know, well, you, we swapped weather then because we got sunny. your weather and you got ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except we don't have any snow <laughs> on the ground, thankfully. Yeah, we, we already had our blizzard like in November. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you you grew up in South Carolina? Yep. yep. Okay, awesome. And you know, when I was kind of looking into your your you know history and stuff like that, it sounds like you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And I, did I read this right? That your your dad like ran several businesses in the town, like the gas station, yeah. the corner store, and all these things. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure, he was a quintessential entrepreneur. In fact, to the point where I said, when I grew up, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna punch a clock from nine to five, work for the man, and get a paycheck. Uh, <laughs> and that's not how it turned out. But yeah, he had, growing up was interesting because. He was really good at starting businesses. He wasn't too good mm-hmm. at sustaining businesses. So, uh, so he was the idea guy. He, he was like have an idea. idea guy. He liked to get it going. And then it was and like, then, yeah, okay. not so much the day to day work. Uh, so we had, we had two different gas stations. We had um, a pool hall. We had a liquor store, a beer store, a wine and cheese shop, a construction company. You know, all these when I was growing up, and you know, kids are free labor, so I worked in all of them. <laughs> Wow. That must've been so much experience. What, what was your uh, favorite and least favorite? I think that, um, so my favorite was, is probably a 10 year old learning about business. So, uh, my dad would take me with him to the wholesaler and he was going, he was in there buying the chips and stuff for the shelves at the beer store. And I was in there saving my money up and I bought, I remember I bought a box of sweet tarts and I brought them back. So while the boys were in, you know, guys were inside buying the beer, I was out in the parking lot selling sweet tarts to the girls in the car, making my profit <laughs> so I could buy the next box and, you know, two boxes nice. and learning about that stuff. And then uh, we had, my brother and I had a fireworks stand and we did it every, every Christmas and every July 4th. And we each made 500 bucks a piece, clear money, which when you're 12 years old, that's like a million dollars, right? So we did that every year for probably five or six years. And that was, that was another entrepreneurial thing that uh, my dad helped us with. 
Now, do you think being in a small town or growing up in a small town that it, it inspired you to maybe try to like get out there and make money or was it just because, um, or, or do you think it was easier maybe like growing up in a small town to be an entrepreneur or start your own things or, or what? I mean, I guess I'm trying to figure out like, you know, if you live in a big town, you maybe have more people to access to like sell, but then also more red tape and more issues trying to start something of your own opposed to like in a small town, like you can just buy some fireworks and throw up a stand and everyone's gonna be like, Oh cool. Let me come buy some of these things. Yeah. I'm sure that we broke a few rules there to be honest. I'm sure <laughs> there's probably a permit or two that we did not go out and get. And nobody's going to top the 12 year old, right. from selling firecrackers. But yeah, <laughs> but no, I think it's probably, I think it's a dual edged sword. On the one hand, it is probably easier in a small town to maybe, maybe cut a corner or two. And it's probably safer in a small town because you know the people and you're probably not mm-hmm. going to get robbed. I mean, our, my, we were a really small town, um, so kind of knew everybody or you knew somebody who knew everybody, right? So uh, it's one of those mm-hmm. small towns where if you got in trouble at school, you got two beatings because they beat you at school. And by the time you got home, your parents <laughs> already knew about it. You, another, you, know, you get another spank in there too. And But I think on the other hand, maybe part of me says it would be easier in a big city because you can kind of hide and... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you're out there hustling, like I was hustling and we're, we're a small town and you had kind of your haves and have nots. We were definitely on the have not side. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we moved, we moved into a trailer that was moving up for us. We lived in a, we had a 17 foot camper trailer that the family of four lived in for two years in the back, back lot of the, of the beer store. I mean, so mm-hmm. when you moved into the single wide trailer, hey, that was moving up. And then my brother liked to say yeah. we had the original double wide because we had another single wide trailer we put together. So we had two, two single wide trailers, <laughs> the original double wide, right? So, uh, wow. you know, so I think that you, when you grow up like that, you, you, people knew you were hustling, right? So mm-hmm. my friends who were kids of doctors and lawyers and they had the money that we didn't have, it's a little bit embarrassing to put yourself out there because I mean, we also, I, we sold boiled peanuts. And if you're not from the South, you probably don't know what that is. Why the hell would you mm-hmm. boil a peanut? Well, it's delicious and don't hate on it till you try it. <laughs> Um, and they're not all mushy and like it sounds, they, they actually pretty tasty, but, um, we boil peanuts and sell them on the street. So, so the, the teenager in me was like cringing that I'm out there having to hustle to make the money and and listen, they'd be working for my parents. You you weren't getting paid. So I had other, Mm -hmm. I had, I worked at the, I was a bag boy at the Piggly Wiggly grocery store. It's another Southern, Southern staple. Mm -hmm. I'm big on the pig. Yeah, man. Uh, yep. Still have my polyester yellow sweats uh, t-shirt somewhere around here. Uh, so I did that for actual money. And then I bust tables on the weekend at a restaurant because my parents weren't paying me money to work for free. Mm-hmm. But I, so I think it would kind of be the social side of me as a 60-year-old or 15-year-old or 14-year-old doing that was, it would be less embarrassing to do it in a big city. But, you know, it's, it's, there was definitely a safety net in a small town. Yeah. So what did you, so, so why, why, were you guys so poor? I mean, in my mind, I I think, oh, you, you start your own business and if you have some success, you have multiple businesses and then you're, you know, you got all the autonomy, freedom and making the money. And, uh, you know, but to me, it sounds like it, you had maybe the autonomy and freedom, but then you weren't making all the money. Yeah. I mean, I think that again, I don't want to speak ill to my dad, but <laughs> I love my dad, but he was an yeah. idea guy. And so yeah, the businesses that he started a lot of time were pretty low margin businesses. So the, probably the mm-hmm. most profitable one we had was the, the beer and liquor store. And that was 10%, you know, and then okay. you get in price wars with your competition and then that's going down. And if you have a gas station, which we had, then of course there's price wars and everybody's dropping to buy a half percent or whatever. And so the margins were pretty slim. 
And my dad was, he loved to start them. And that's the capital intensive part is starting it, getting all the inventory, paying the lease. But then you got to yeah. maintain that to be able to make the profit. And that was the part he did mm -hmm. not like to do that much. And so you, you get, you hire the wrong people and maybe they're pocketing some of the money. This, this is a before electronic registers, right? I mean, yeah. one of the benefits I think I had growing up in that environment was I learned to do math in my head to the point where I could add up all the beer in my head. I could multiply by 1.04 to get 4% sales tax in there on my, on my, in my head. Uh, but there was no, it was a cash till. So if you don't have the most honest employees and you're only making 10% yeah. off on a best case scenario, then your margins get pretty slim. And, yeah. and my dad didn't like to work so much. <laughs> we had extra employees because he was, he liked to be the guy, the gap guy, as opposed to the fill the cooler guy. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so then, so you were kind of modeled at least that entrepreneurial spirit at a young age. Uh, and then, and then like you said earlier, it was more of like, all right, I, I'm, I'm done. I want to go work for the man, get the health benefits, clock in, clock out, not think about the work. After you, after high school, you, did you grow up and go to college, join the military? What was, what was your path? Both. I joined the, right out of high school, I joined the Navy. I spent six years in the Navy and I was an electrician mate on an aircraft carrier and people in the service will, this will certainly resonate with them, but if, I'm sure all services are the same, but especially in the Navy, when you're at sea, there's nothing around you. So you work 12-hour shifts, seven days a week for the entire deployment, which can be six, seven months, and except for the days you work 16 hours a day because you have a rotating watch that you have to stand. And so that, you know, three days in a row, that four hours falls during your normal 12-hour shift, and the other three days it falls outside of your 12-hour shift. So those days, you get to work 16 hours a day. <laughs> After six years of that, I thought, you know, there's probably something better to do in my life than this. So I got out of the Navy and I went to work in the shipyard. And there's probably no greater motivation to go to college in the world than to work in a shipyard in Norfolk, Virginia in December and January, which is exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I'm walking into the shipyard every morning and the wind is cutting through me, you know, because shipyards are on the water and the wind's coming off the water, slicing right through you. It's cold, it's damp. It's, you're, I'm laying in the bilge of boats running cables and I thought, man, there's got to be something better than this in my life. And college sounds like a really good idea right about now. So I was just lucky <laughs> enough that I applied to Georgia Tech and got accepted uh, to ended up being you know, one of the better engineering countries in the world, uh, schools in the world, and got an electrical engineering degree from Georgia Tech. And then from there, walked across the street from my first job, which is the Coca-Cola company. If you've ever been to Atlanta, Georgia Tech is on one corner and Coke's on the other corner. And then along the way, uh, while working, I also got an MBA from Duke University. So that's kind of my circuitous route of, I worked first and it took me quite a while to get through college because I worked my way through college. I would work, I would work a quarter and then I had to go to school a quarter, work a quarter, go to school a quarter. It took me about six and a half years to graduate with my undergrad, but, but I paid my own way hundred um, percent. This is before the benefits that the military has today. So I didn't get a bunch of money to go to college like, like mm. kids do today as, as much. I mean, this was in the... This was in the mid '80s, so it wasn't quite as lucrative. Mm, develop, yeah. So, I guess one of the questions I have: Do you think that, because all in all, it sounds like you were a hard worker? You know, do you think hard work is like you're born with it, or is it a learned behavior? Man, that's a great question. I'd like to think it's learned. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I was the hardest working. And I worked hard for my parents and I worked hard on the job that I, the jobs that I had, but I wasn't maybe the hardest worker in school. 
And I really hope my 16 year old son doesn't hear this podcast because he's going to hold that against me. Because I'm, I'm on his, I'm on him, you know. Yeah, you're like, come on, I'm man. on his ass all the yeah. time. Like, hey, come oh, yeah. on, dude. The bee's I, not I got good a 15 enough. year old, so that's, what I, that's what I know exactly what, is what his that's bee like. stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't, I don't know that I was the hardest worker in school, but I remember when I got to my first job, when I got to Coca Cola, I said, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to see where this takes me. Mm. And man, and what even before that, when I was at college, I'd never really had good grades in high school because I didn't really study that hard. But then when mm. I was in the Navy, we were twice in port long enough in Norfolk where I could go to school. They have a college there, Old Dominion University. And I took night classes at, at ODU. So two quarters, I was able to do that because we were in the shipyard long enough. And I actually had a four zero after two quarters of taking four classes at night. And that told me, hey, I can... My teachers, I thought teachers told everybody you're smart and you can do better. I, I thought it was just lip mm-hmm. service, but maybe they had, they were onto something. So when I got to tech, I was in classes and this was back then it was, uh, I don't know if it was harder to get in, but it was harder to stay in. I remember when you go through FACET, which is freshman orientation at Georgia Tech, they literally, I, I don't think it's this way anymore, but back then they would say, look to your left, look to your right, because two of you won't be here in four years. Hmm. And they would. I mean, they were fail out classes. I mean, th- I think now they graduate 90 plus percent, but back then it was not that way. And I realized that the only way I could compete, because I don't think I was smarter than these presidential scholars, but you weren't yeah. going to outwork me. So I literally, on Monday through Thursday, or Sunday through Thursday, I opened the library and I closed the library. And all I did was study my tail off because I, you know, I wasn't there to party. I'd, I'd, Listen, nobody parters like a sailor. And I you had six years of that. Right? So <laughs> I'd done, I'd been there, done that, right? Wrote the book on it. So that was all good. Uh, I was there to study and get it. You know, that was what I was there to do. And I remember talking to, you know, the people that were, I was 25 when I got there, talking to the 18 year olds are like, man, I can't wait to get out and get a real job. And I'm like, no, no, no. You should stay here as long as mom and dad will pay for it. This is exactly <laughs> where you should be. Because the real world is, is tough, right? Yeah. And so I did really well in school because I worked really, really hard. And then I took that attitude when I got to my first job and said, I just want to work as hard as I can to see where this takes me. And it took me quite a long ways. So I like to think it's a learned experience. I don't, I mean, I think people, some people are maybe born with the drive and just want to go out and hustle and do it. And some people maybe, I like to think it can be learned. Uh, I do think there's no substitute though for hard work. Yeah. One of my really good friends, I, I don't think he meant to insult me, but it came across as an insult when I got my first, first real good job. He says, man, I can't believe that I, you know, I graduated with high honors at Georgia Tech and you just graduated, you know, I had, I had honors until my last quarter and I took 23 hours my last quarters to graduate. And that was a mistake. Cause I mean, it took me out of honors to just below honors. Mm-hmm. And he says, you got so lucky to get that job. And I remember thinking, okay, to get lucky, I had to be here to be able to be seen mm-hmm. to get this offer to do that, I had to work my tail off. I had to good grades in school. I mean, so- Yeah, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Boy, exactly. exactly, 100%. <laughs> harder you work, the luckier you get. Exactly. Yeah, no. I And that's one of the things I try to teach my kids and other young guys who are coming up. You know, it's like this idea of the average work sucks, right? And, and nobody wants to like work. But if you can, if you can work, if you can work hard and, and do everything you do at you know, to the best level that your ability is, you'll get noticed Yeah. because again, right. Everyone around you is trying to do bare minimum. They're trying to just, you know, scoot by, fly under the radar and just do what they can to come and go and, and, 
and uh, not get noticed essentially. And so it's like, if you come into a place and you're willing to learn and you're, you're showing up and you're volunteering for things or when the boss asks like, Hey, who can do X, Y, and Z? And you're like, yeah, that I can do that. Like you'll start to get noticed and then you'll start to, you know, see some success. So you said that you got a good job. So what, what, what do you mean by that? Like, so what, what, where did you end up with Coke? So I started off as a sales equipment engineer working in the engineering group. We designed drink equipment for cold drink technology was the name of the group. And we designed new bottle can vendors, generation called the Gen 3 uh, vending machine, which did some pretty cool stuff. Because the first thing I wanted to know was, wait a minute, Coca-Cola sells colored sugar water. Why do y'all need an electrical engineer? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be drinking this product. Hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, any, anything electronics, the, the, the vehicle you use to dispense the product, whether that's in the can or a bottle or whether it's a fountain machine. I remember working on a project for, you know, dating myself yet again, but back in the big gulp days of 7-Eleven, you know, prior to mm. that, a, f- a serving was like 12 ounces, right? Right. Well, uh, when you push the valve to serve 12 ounces and an ounce and a half a second, your cup is full in six seconds, you know, six, right. eight seconds. But you got a 64 ounce cup you want to fill, that's going to take a long time. <laughs> so we had to develop faster valves. And when, of course, the problem with that is the faster you put the, the product in, the more it foams. And so it, it's a, it's a lot of engineering that goes into those kind of, of, of uh, endeavors. And so that's, where I started. And then in 94, the city of Atlanta got awarded the Olympic Games and I really wanted to work on that project. And that wasn't going to happen as a Coke employee, even though Coke was a sponsor. Uh, so I left the company on a Monday, uh, Friday and went to work for Project Success, which is the company I've been with now for 29 years and got to go back to Coke on, a, on the Monday as a contractor for Coca-Cola, but as an employee of Project Success. And I got mm-hmm. to work on the Olympics and I worked on all the Olympic Games ever since, both summer and winter. Oh, wow. And so, okay. So this is kind of that, that leap where you, you go to project success. How did you find out about them? You know, and, and what even, what, what even was like this idea of like wanting to work like on the Olympics, like in what capacity, like engineer something? I mean, yeah. So, uh, first of all, great question. How do how did I know them? So we had a project to Coke that went so poorly that at the end of the project, our engineering manager got fired. So mm-hmm. my boss's boss's boss basically got told time for you to move on. And we said, we got to get better doing projects. We got to get better delivering. We got to get better in meeting. We'll understand when we can deliver and not over-promising and under-delivering. How do we do that? And so we found this company called Project Success and we had them come in to teach a course. And so I took this course as a Coke employee uh, back in 1991 that I now teach and write about 30 years later, 30 plus years later. And we started using that process and we saw really good benefits from it. And I ended up liking it really, it, the process really resonated with me. It struck a nerve. And I said, you know, this is, this, I can really see, this is powerful stuff. And, and I'm young at the time. I'm still trying to figure stuff out. I don't know that I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up at that moment, even though I was, you know, 27, 28, 29, pushing mm-hmm. 30. I still wasn't quite sure, but this seemed like a pretty cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. And my goal was... I wanted to work on the Olympics because it's, hey, it's a once in a lifetime deal, right? I mean, who gets to say I worked on the Olympics, right? It's it's right. only coming to Atlanta probably once and what a really cool thing to work on. And I'd actually supported that at Georgia Tech. They, they had something called the GTOC, which is a Georgia Tech Olympic Committee, which I was on as well. And we would basically, when the big wigs from, from the IOC would come into town, we'd stand there with balloons and we'd clap and trying to win the city is, is to, to get the uh, bid, right? Mm-hmm. So it just came logical progression when I was at Coke to go ahead and, and try to make that connection over and, and do that or work on the Olympic projects. 
So that's kind of what I wanted to do. And my thought was, all right, I'll go do this for a while. I'll come back and I'll go back to Coke, but I'll do something different. Because my boss at the time said, Clint, you know, talking vendor is fun the first time you do it. It won't be fun the second time. And you really, you're in the dead end if you do it a third time. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to do something different. And I thought this would give me a chance to do that. And everything that I thought would happen did happen. I had a great time working on the Olympics, you know, doing the planning for it. And then I got the offers that I wanted, but I figured out, I really, I like this. I want to keep doing this. Uh, I like this process. I want to do it for other companies too. And looking back 30 years later, I've done, I know more about Coke working on these projects than I ever would have learned as an employee because you're an employee, you're working in like one little, one little, you know, vertical, right? You're one stream. And I've worked on all the streams. I've worked in security and HR and I mean, all over the map, flavors and just everything. Plus I still have work on all the Olympics and FIFA World Cups, et cetera, that they activate against. So it's been, it's been a great, great exposure for me to do that. And uh, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't have imagined how powerful it was. But going back 30 years ago, I would just, I would end up patting myself on the back and say, yeah, you should go do this. And so <laughs> no regrets there. That's so cool. So you were, you're originally actually a customer and they consulted with you and you're like, wow, this is a great product or it's a great process. Yeah. So I think now that I think about it, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I answered the question that Mark asked. I mean, maybe so. Uh, they, they wanted somebody, the way I got to do the work was they, they wanted somebody that was around 30 years old, which I was at the time, the owners of the company were all ex-military. So they wanted ex-military, which I was, and they wanted an engineer, somebody with an engineering background. Cause that's also everybody at the company had an engineering background and knew the Coke system. And I ticked off all the boxes. Uh, so, and then I happened to be looking for the role and it just kind of married up. Uh, and then. I couldn't have imagined, like I said, how it's, how it's gone. So you started working there and then at some point you, did you buy the company or? Yeah. So that's another funny story. How did that work out? (laughs) Somebody asked me one time, how'd you be the C, how'd you get to be the CEO? I said, it's easy. You buy the company, you make yourself the CEO. It's no problem. (laughs) So yeah, I was. Good tip. uh, Good tip. Exactly. It's simple. So when I got hired in, as I said, I was about 30, 30, 31 years old at the time. And I was, I was by far in a way, the youngest person at the company at that moment. They were all in their forties plus and uh, older. And I, they weren't sure the young kid was going to work out truthfully. Mm-hmm. So they created a, a new job title for me. They dug a hole in the dirt and created a new job title that I could hide out in called senior associate. Cause they didn't want to call me a consultant in case I screwed things up. Right. <laughs> he wasn't a consultant. He was yeah. just an associate. Yeah, you know, He's plausible <laughs> deniability. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, so over the next 11 years, I was just an employee. I worked my, I worked my way up to become a consultant, senior consultant. And then for a number of years, I ran the company for the existing owner. And then it, it around 2004, he really wanted to get out. He wanted to retire. And so I started looking at doing a deal to try to, he wanted to sell to employees. Ended up being two, kind of two groups in the company that wanted to buy it. Um, and uh, I hope I, these stories are meaningful to some people because they're, they're certainly meaningful to me, but I was on the management committee and I'll never forget uh, one of the other owners who came in, Dr. Tom Clark, one of the founders, and he said, hey, you know, Dennis wants to sell the company. And um, he sent me here to ask you some questions. And so he went around, went around the room and he asked two questions. The question, first question was, do you want to buy the company? And the second question was, would you put your own money into it? And so we went around to each person in the room and each person in the room said, yes, I want to buy the company. 
and no, I would not put my own, my own money into it. I would buy, you know, there was one group that said, we we get some venture capital and, you know, they they all had these different things. And the, ne- the next to the last guy says, no, I do not want to buy the company and I would not put my own money into it, but I'll follow Clint wherever he goes. And then they got to me and Dr. Clark says, do you want to buy the company? And I said, yes. He said, would you put your own money into it? I said, Dr. Clark, I will sell everything that I have to do that. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. I took equity out of my house. I sold everything I could possibly do, liquidate, put every, every dollar I had. And I was able to talk to 13 different banks. And finally, between the banks and my liquidity, I, I was able to put the deal together to buy the company in 2005. So wow. 11 years as an employee and the last 19 years as the owner slash employee, because I still work. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, Go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.